He brought me Kleenex. I don't know what Bryce and Jeff are talking about. You people all know I am an immovable rock. This is, this is fine. This is no big deal. But whoever that young lady was who did uh, communion was Andrea. It, was that her name? And in the video, I don't remember. She did great. Her parents must be proud, right? Here's what we know when it comes to Senior Sunday, when it comes to graduation, whether there is one graduate like there is this year or a year ago, I think there were eight. We know by the time you get to that big moment that there have been a lifetime of moments that have led to that, that have added up to get there. By the time you cross the finish line, you have had to clear countless hurdles along the way. It is a culmination of events that add up to the big thing, which brings us to our text this morning from John 19, 28. If you have your Bibles, you can open up or you'll see it on the screen behind me. And part of this you've already heard in this series. Later, knowing that everything had been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, lifted it up to Jesus' lips, and when He had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. There was something that happened in January that I went back and forth, do I talk about, but Jennifer and Bryce have been begging ever since I shared it with them for me to share with the church. So I'm going to go ahead and share, and that is in the middle of January, the Reynolds came to an uncomfortable realization. And that realization was that our living room had begun to smell a lot, like a horrible, rancid smell, especially on warm days. In January, couldn't decide if it wanted to be winter or early spring, and some of the days were creeping up into the 60s, and we didn't necessarily put it together at that time. We just knew there was something awful going on, and so we started to search for the source of the smell as one does, and at first we started to wonder, was there some food that was only half eaten and left and discarded somewhere in the house, maybe a half of a hamburger that had started to turn over days and weeks, although the smell that was happening was far more than any half hamburger could have produced. It would have been more like three dozen cans of tuna open and hidden all over the house and left for weeks there. But no food can last that long in our house because we have two dogs and our dogs would have found the food. So I knew it wasn't food, but dogs, that's not a bad idea to think about. That can be a source. And you've met one of our dogs. 
You've met Prince, Max's service dog, but Prince is a good dog. He'll get into things, but he's not having accidents in the house. The other dog is a little nine-year-old Karen Terrier, and he's a good dog and doesn't have accidents in the house, except, I don't need to go into a lot of details, but when big storms roll through, and then he loses all of his nerves and the contents of whatever's going on on the inside. But this would have had to have been like a big storm every night for 30 nights that was producing whatever this this awful experience was that we were finding in the house. And we didn't find anything. We, we turned everything upside down. And so we started to do what you do. We, we started to try to cover it. So room spray was employed and every couch was doused with a downpour of Febreze and we're sprinkling that deodorizer, arm and hammer, carpet stuff around everywhere. And we have lit enough burning scented candles to open our own cathedral, but nothing will take care of it. And for a while, it would mask it a little bit, but even over time, no amount of candles and Febreze could eventually mask the stank. And it was stank. It had moved beyond stink to to stank level. It was, it was stank. And we, it would hit us every time we walk in the front door. That's where our living room is. And every time we came from the back part of the house to the front of the house, it would hit us. And that's when it finally hit me. The problem was not in the house. The problem was likely under the house which is a really terrifying thought because I've ventured under the house a time or two before when I have to work on something, but it is truly a terrible place to go. We, we live on a house, it's a pier and beam, which means it's not right on a concrete slab, and some of you have pier and beam houses, but our house was built in the late 20s, and it was long before there was any sort of code that regulated how much crawl space there would be. And you can see a picture right now. That's the entrance to the crawl space under our house. It is very tight. And it was built long before central heat and air. And so not only was it tight before, but then they have to add ducts underneath the house. And so there is almost no space in many parts under our house between the duct and the ground. And there's the plastic vapor barrier, and it is over rocky, hard soil. And it is cramped, and it is tight, and it is terrifying. And so I put on work shoes and work jeans and an old long sleeve shirt, and I, I put on knee pads because it's hard down there, and I put on an old hat. I put on an N95 mask. I put on goggles. I put on work gloves. I had one of those, you know, flashlights that you attach on the head. I look like the most ridiculous crawl space spelunker you have ever scene getting under the house and I grabbed several trash bags and I crawl under and the entrance to our crawl space is at the far left back of our house and our living room is at the front 
right side of our house. Our house is not enormous, but it is the absolute farthest location from the entrance to under the living room. And the only way you get anywhere there, you can't even crawl on your knees. You have to army crawl from one side to the other, sometimes under ductwork, sometimes under beams like the support beam that holds the whole middle wall of our house. And I'm working my way slowly, and I'm, I'm groaning, and I'm panting, and I'm moaning. And by the time I work my way all the way over to that portion, I'm actually underneath where Paige and Max are. They're in the living room, and they can hear me from under the house, just, just, just working as best I can to get there. And they start yelling to me through the floor, are you okay? And the answer was no, I was not okay. I was not doing good. This was horrible. And I finally got to the source of the smell. And I was thinking I might find a, a kind of small creature. And I did not find something simple like a rat. I didn't know exactly what I found until I finally reached. I put one trash bag in the other. It's those trash bags that are kind of fancy and they're scented with lavender. And this lavender did not stand a chance against the task we had ahead of us. And I put one bag inside the other and I put my gloved hand inside the bag. And I'm, I'm sprawled out on my stomach. There's not even enough room to get up on my knees to reach for it. So I'm just reaching above my head looking, and I, and I grabbed this, this creature, and it was only when I put it in the bag and tried to get the tail in the bag that I realized it wasn't just a rat. It was, it was a possum. It was a large creature, and it was, well, it was, it was dead, but it was teeming with life at the same time. There was, it was a circle of life just happening all right there. And so I pull it into the bag and I twist everything inside out and I tie it up and I tie it up. And then I've got I've to work my way back the way I worked my way in and crawling backwards now and under that middle beam. And finally, I turn myself around and I start to crawl forward and I get to the exit and I throw it out. And I pull myself out from underneath the house and I throw it away. I go in the back door and I shed as many clothes as is still decent to walk through the house toward the shower. And I walk by uh, Paige and Max, and they say, are you okay? And I said, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and, I, and I went to the shower, and I think I stayed there for a day and a half, just, just trying to get that experience out of my head. But here's the thing. There was no amount of candles that was ever going to solve the problem. There was no amount of room spray. There was no amount of Febreze or, you know, stuff that you sprinkle deodorizer on the carpet. I could have tried to take the easy way out. Actually, several people were like, you know, you can hire someone to do that. And I, but they always, they told me after the fact, you know, after... I'm like, is, does someone want to crawl under there and get that? I know I didn't. I don't know. All I knew was someone had to go to the source. Someone had to do the, the hard work, the difficult work, the, the dirty work to deal with the problem at its source. 
couldn't mask it, couldn't bypass it, it couldn't cover over it. But in the end, the results were instant. The smell was over. The job was finished. It is finished. It's a simple three-word phrase, and actually in Greek, it's just one word, tetelestai. It is finished, complete, accomplished, done. But in that first little word, it carries so much meaning because if you don't know what that's referring to, it may not sound all that significant. If you just boil graduation down to a moment where you cross a stage, it's not that significant. When Bryce finished up his doctrine of ministry and we celebrated that and you just go to one last defense, it's not that significant. But when you add all the things up to all the accomplishments that you've had and you've done and you know it's not just that moment, but it's all the moments that lead up, that's when you realize just how big it is. The work of Jesus was not just what happened, those final moments on the cross. It's everything that led up to there. And that is a big job, an all-encompassing job, a difficult job, a dirty job, a dangerous job for God, the Word, to become flesh, to set up camp, to dwell, to tabernacle among us, which is what the Gospel of John is literally saying in the first chapter. That's no small or easy task. Because God couldn't do that from a distance. He couldn't accomplish that without getting His hands dirty and the rest of Him dirty as well for Jesus to come as the bread of heaven and the living water so that we would not have to be hungry or thirsty again. That's no small thing. It's impossible to relate to us unless He truly knows the pangs of hunger and the parched feeling of thirst. To make a way for everyone means the hard and unpopular work of tearing down barriers that left so many people out. It means showing a way of elevation and inclusion. People who were foreigners, people who were poor, people who were uneducated, people who were women. It means eating undesirable people. It means touching unclean, untouchable people. It means communing with outsiders and connecting with the overlooked. And you don't do that without getting your reputation dirtied and soiled and dragged through the mud in the process to come and offer life that is abundant and overflowing and 
full means to deal head on with all the things that we get trapped in and all the addictions that we get imprisoned by, the hate and the selfishness, the greed and the anger, all the things that take root. It means dealing with the sin that leaves us living as less than the full image of God in which we are made and the sin that leaves us treating others as less than the full image of God in which they are made. Getting to the Easter story that we're looking forward to and we'll celebrate next week means conquering death itself. And Jesus knows that to overcome death, He can't bypass death. He goes through death so that He brings life out on the other side. The work of Jesus was no small, easy job. It was hard. It was painful. It was dirty and dangerous and difficult. There's no shortcut to that. There's no bypass to the bad times. He couldn't detour past all the details. And so, in John's Gospel, Jesus keeps emphasizing that His task is to come and finish the work of God. To bring it to completion. To fullness. And this is why so many times in the Gospel of John, Jesus continues to say, and you'll see this on the screen behind me also, when people try to move Him forward too much, He continues to say, no, my time's not yet come. Let's go to the next one. One more. There we go. So He'll keep saying, no, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come because He knows halfway through is not enough. Part of the way is not enough. There's still work to do. There's still foundation to lay. There's still lessons to teach. There's still walls to tear down. You can't spritz some Febreze on the problems that plague the world and call it a day. You can't sprinkle a little carpet deodorizer and hope no one notices. No amount of scented candles can cover the decay that comes from the ways that we devalue ourselves and we dehumanize others. So Jesus doesn't shortchange the problem. He doesn't avoid the problem. Jesus meets the problem head on at the cross. He meets death head on. And He goes through death to bring life. And so we meet Him this morning at the end. And the text we started with says he, he knows now that it's finished. All the work that He kept saying, it's not time yet, it's not time yet. Now He says, it's time. It's finished. And so He declares it. It is finished. And with that, He bowed His head and gave up His Spirit. It is finished. That's why we're here. It is 
finished. That's why we are who we are. It is finished. And that's why we have the hope that we have. That's why we can live a new life. That's why we can celebrate a life without end and a world without end, a new heaven and a new earth because it is finished. The hard work is finished. Jesus did the hard work. It's already done. You don't have to do it. I don't have to do it. And it is finished. Salvation work is complete. And it's not on you. And it's not on me. It's on Jesus. And it is finished. Life that is really life. Life as it was created to be. Life to the full. That's not in your power. It's in God's power. And it is finished. Freedom is possible. Freedom is promised. In fact, earlier in John, Jesus says, when the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you still have choices to make? Sure. And are there habits to adopt and habits to break usually for every one of us? Are there patterns of thinking that leave you locked in destructive ways and ways of thinking that leave you more liberated? Of course. But Jesus is saying the chains have been broken and the price has been paid and emancipation has been signed because it is finished. We all still have growth ahead of us. We still have lots of service and lots of love and lots of compassion ahead of us. But to borrow a phrase from Paul in Philippians 1.6, we can be confident of this. That the God who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. There's our word. It's going to take that thing to the very end. To the finish. Until the day of Christ Jesus.